Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, welcome to the 7th Seneca Podcast. I'm Jeremy Goldhorn, your host today, taking the place of Kaiser Gore, who is in Australia this week and will be back next week. Today we're going to discuss the recent spate of attacks on school children across China and also syphilis. To enlighten us on these topics, we have two frequent guests, Gadi Epstein, the Beijing bureau chief of Forbes magazine, and Will Moss, the blogger behind Image Thief. And we're also joined by Chen Li Wen, a blogger, columnist, author, and bookstore owner who just today finished writing a column for a Chinese magazine about the school stabbings. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Before we get going, I'd just like to put a word of thanks to popupchinese.com, who have provided both the hosting for this podcast and the studio in which we are now sitting. But let's get straight on to the crime and violence. I'd like to introduce the topic with Malcolm Moore of the Daily Telegraph, uh, an article by him. Seven children at a nursery school in northwestern China have been hacked to death and at least 20 more injured in the ninth attack involving children in just over a month. The attack is the latest in a series of seemingly copycat knife attacks against young children. The spate of violence began at the end of March, when a mentally unstable former doctor murdered eight children at a school in Fujian province. That crime sparked further attacks across the country, mostly involving furiously frustrated middle-aged men. Li Wen, what do you think is going on? Yeah, frustrated middle-aged men is a very accurate summary of all these uh, the characters of them killers here. As we noticed that uh, it's within one, well, actually less than two months, one and a half months, that the first one, the first killer in Nanping, Fujian province, has got three copycats following him. So obviously there's some kind of resentment in our society, and they just burst out right now. So I think uh, what we need right now is to look closer into these individual cases and have a public debate. But why do you think this is happening? I mean, why are these men targeting children? Um, Basically, they don't have this uh, mechanism stopping them from this this violence against uh, everybody. They feel rootless. Yeah, they feel rootless, yeah. And the other thing, of course, if, if that's the case, you choose the easy target. By the way, in the, yeah. are, is there something in common with the targets other than elementary school kids? Are we talking, is it just what happens to be nearby? Is it a more privileged school in relative terms? In the no, new, no, in, no, no, no. That's a misleading right, sort. Right. Very misleading. Right. They, they could just choose anything. If you read one of these reports right. by Nanfang Renwu Zhou Kan, mm-hmm. and they have done this uh, a thorough uh, mm-hmm. research into this, and the first one, the first killer, actually has been... That's just a common school. He played with the kids before, and the kids all like him. He gave them, you know, candies or whatever. Right. I just wanted to clarify that because there were some initial reports, and I, I agree with you. I think 
basically what the the reason that kids are targeted is because it's easy, easy and uh, you can't. It's not easy to get a gun as you would do in the United States. Yeah. If you did get a gun and go to a high school in the United States, or you would get shot, or even a middle school, hmm. uh, by other kids. And here you can go into um, an elementary school and they're defenseless. They're not ready. It's just not something they're used to here. I think there's more to it than just attacking defenseless targets. There's always a range of objectives when these kinds of things happen. And and these people aren't attacking other people that they have personal connections with. I don't think they're attacking students just because they're defenseless. Attacking kids, there's a couple of things that happens. One is if you are trying to make a dent in the public consciousness, if you're trying to send a message to society, if you want your story to be told, you want to be noticed, you're going to attack a sensational target. And there's no target more sensational than children. And you can see now security arrangements are being changed. Uh, it's, it's a widespread topic of conversation. The media is following it and reporting on it at length. So children are symbolic, uh, not just easy. And you draw attention to yourself and to your story when you single out children to attack in a way that you don't, even if you go into a police station as uh, as uh, that man did in Shanghai now last year. Uh, was it last year? A couple year? of years ago. Yang 2008. Da, yeah. And so I think that's why the kids are getting – one reason why kids are getting – That's one reason. Out. But I do think that the difficulty in, let's say, getting firearms would be – would mean it kind of disqualifies a number of other possibilities. You know, in America, we have workplace shootings – uh, you know, that's sort of our version that seems to happen all the time. And in, and in Malaysia, Indonesia, you you run amok with a parang, you know, a, a machete. Uh, different societies have different pathologies when, right. when sort of people go off the bend. And we seem to have discovered one here for, for China. Is there a reason why this is happening now? Um, I got a very interesting data today um, re- with regard to the um, – Payment. Salaries. Salaries. Wages, salaries. Yeah, salaries. And basically takes up in 2005, took up 36.7% of our GDP. And in 1983, it took up 56.5%, meaning in the past um, 20-something years, the salary has decreased. Right. The worker's the share GDP of GDP pro- has declined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, the uh, capital gain has Increased by twenty percent, right. and you and can't go to a Chinese city without nearly being run over by a Porsche SUV. Exactly. Bill Bishop, a frequent participant in this podcast, was pointing out today online that the Gini coefficient for China has now gone over four, which uh, he uh, mentioned was a, a widely accepted as a as a danger threshold. The Gini coefficient. Being we already hit that. This uh, yeah. right. This that, the, I think we the had right measurement of disparity between a new threshold even yeah. further. Uh, even higher. And so it measures this disparity between the rich and the poor. And basically, China has been for years already uh, on par with uh, the worst nations in the world, including uh, the United States. But then, of course, I mean, uh, we can't just contribute everything to the to the wealth gap, I think. When I was writing the uh, the column this morning, yeah, actually this morning or last, last evening, I was thinking also about the education um, in China. Because when you look back, out of four of these killers, three of them are actually rather well, relatively well educated in their generation. So they know everything. The first killer actually reads uh, international, Global Times every day, and which is, you know, very high class reading in their generation. So 
I'm thinking, how come they resort to this? And then I think, look back to our education, and I found something even more alarming. Since our childhood, we were educated to believe that、um, violence is the only useful method if you want to change the society. This is part of Marxism theory. Right. The gradual reform in Britain is considered to be、uh, not thorough enough. You know. This kind of way of thinking has been deeply rooted, especially in this generation, forty-something. But nowadays, maybe we have different point of view gradually because of the coming of different informations on the internet. And the way China has actually、movies. changed gradually. As well, as well, we we start to have some sort of negotiation、uh, between the authority and the people, although it's still rather、uh, limited. But before well, there this, wasn't any. This is an interesting twist, of course, because I mean, obviously, every society looks for、uh, causes for this kind of behavior. And in the United States,、uh, the common、uh, target for blame is the mass media, the entertainment, video games, movies that have violence.、Um, that'd be turning it a little bit on its head. Oh,、so、we can、uh, blame the Americans too. Everybody watched <laughs>、right. Hollywood pirated DV- right. DVDs.、So. And I think, and, and you I, wouldn't be the first to blame us, right? Well, I, I'm sure you will see、uh, as this kind of unfolds, you'll see more emphasis on those kinds of f- cultural factors than on the ones you just、uh, described. The culture. Can, can let's l- look at the the state, the government response to this. I think first of all, security wise,、um, there are now security measures, at least in places like Beijing. Uh, around schools, increased police presence. Bill Bishop,、uh, our frequent guest on this podcast, just called. He picked up his kids from school, and there were police there checking the security systems in place and installing panic buttons. Now,、uh, this is unlikely to be happening in remote villages or small towns, but certainly in the bigger cities, there is a, a beefed-up security. <laughs> on the other hand, the media—that's a different story. There, there hasn't been as much, nearly as much. Play of the story in the media as it would be if it was in a Western country, and it's quite obvious that the government is seeking to control the media coverage of this. I just want to ask if maybe this is not a good thing,、um, in the sense that I, I, I once met a guy from the State Council Information Office who was talking about similar issues, and he said, "In China, we don't want the pornography of violence that people have in the United States." And I could actually see his point of view in the sense that when you have a brutal murder, a school killing. Twenty-four、yeah, like、hour、yeah. news is all over it. Every single detail. It, it is very much like, like pornography. Like in Germany, you don't、uh, put suicidal news on the top headlines because it,、uh, they sociologists found out that actually it causes more people to follow suit. That is. It's actually a common feature of journalism feature. not to、yeah. really write about suicides、yeah. as、yeah. a news event. I mean, normal. Yeah,、uh, but we, we really didn't expect that such a. Killing spree in kindergarten would、uh, bring out all these copycats. Never there, happened. There is a point there in that, as philosophically inclined as Americans tend to be towards an unfettered media, there is an argument there for managing coverage of this kind of thing. There is a tendency in the public to believe that things that they witness, even in the media, are much more likely than they actually are. Statistically, what are the chances that the school where your kids go in China—this is a big country—is going to be, you know, is going to be subject to an attack? They're vanishingly, vanishingly remote. People see this all over the media. They really will believe it can happen to them. This is this this is how it works. It's called the availability heuristic. If you 
witness something, even by abstraction, you believe it's much more common than it, it actually is. It talks to your little fear monkey. Airplane crashes, terrorist attacks, knife attacks on schools. So there is an argument for managing this. The question is, is there a point at which that will become counterproductive? I think there's also one inherent problem. There's also there's a cynicism about how the government manages the media here that might sort of uh, make it less effective. And people and, will also assume, and, perhaps, assume the worst motives, perhaps. No, I, I think that the problem here is not that uh, they put down the news to a less significant place, but more that they put down the public debate on this to a less significant place. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a perfect chance uh, for us to, to, to rediscover the topics about caring for the, you know, marginal groups. And, like, two out of these four killers, they were mentally ill, so no, and nobody was taking care of them, and then uh, about this social gap, and about you know how we educate our kids, and all these kind of things, and we don't have thorough debate on this. One editorial, and that's it. Right, Nobody, and there's a balance no. to be struck. You know, if you air out the issues, you may have less resentment and pent up resentment, and more open discussion of exactly. issues that are important. Exactly. On the other hand, if you go to the other extreme, as we've seen in the West. Uh, you get hysteria. You get sensationalization and hysteria, and you get a panic. I think you already have some of that um, element here. With, I mean, obviously the number of copycat killings, uh, and it's kind of a question of whether this will just sort of subside pretty soon, and then maybe there'll be some discussion allowed. We can hope, you know, perhaps. We'll try our best, but you know, it's kind of difficult. Yeah. What are what are people saying in China? Liwen about this. What, uh, what, what is the ordinary person, the, 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 the proverbial man on the street, what is he saying about this? I think the first reaction normally is anger because nobody has done this before. You get on an airplane and a, a baby cries. Europeans will complain, but Chinese will never because they love children. So, so this kind of thing normally is a, is a blow on Chinese head that actually among our people there are people who are so angry that they forget completely about our culture. Is, is there a sort of recognition in that of the of failings of the mental health system here or, you know, or the kind of lack thereof? Yes. Of them? yes, there are. Actually, if you check out all the major portal websites in China, they all try to uh, raise awareness on these topics. But for some reason, it's not really um, put on the significant place on their pages right now. So... Obviously, there is a kind of control there. So uh, if such a kind of killing spree happened in the U.S., what kind of uh, reaction would you get from the society? Right. You do get the kind of discussion of the issues that you're talking about that you want to see, where people really discuss what the problems uh, afflicting society are that would cause this kind of uh, problem, like the the Columbine school killings. Uh, But you also get that. Uh, amidst a sea, perhaps an overwhelming tidal wave of sensational coverage that's not quite as much uh, light as heat, as they say. Uh, So you get a mix. But I think the overall uh, effect is that um, these issues are aired out and people get, um, you know, on the negative side, maybe desensitized. But on the positive side, they are confronting them. And uh, I'm reminded of a previous panic. I may be betraying my age a little bit here. Um, in the maybe early 80s, the Tylenol scare was being an example of an overreaction created by, um, you know, uh, scared parents about, it's, you know, media attention, uh, where there was, you know, these spiked, a few spiked um, 
uh, Tylenol capsules that killed a few people with cyanide. Uh, it led to uh, you know major uh, safety overhaul that now lasts to this day that made made those kinds of uh, pack products tamper-proof. Um, and there was a brief period of panic, and there was discussion about how this could happen, uh, and then it passed. Um, it's not the same as a you know killing children um, in schools, but you hope that by you know airing these things out, having discussion, you know, you have some sort of long-term uh, solutions come out of things. But like you this. didn't have policemen posted all over the. You would, campus. I'm sure, you would. Well, have, it, uh, in the U.S., you got metal detectors, and the method is different in the U.S. You get so you get metal detectors in schools. You know, you get pat downs in urban schools. More security guards. That's the same as here. the The, the weapon worry in the U.S. is different. It's firearms. Yeah. In these kinds of situations in the U.S., I think also here, almost anywhere where it happens, often there's a problem in that people really want two things. They they want to know who to blame, and they want often a simple solution, uh, often a more simple solution than the actual root problem calls for. And this is where we sometimes get into an issue with with attention span. Certainly in the U.S. Uh, where there's pressure to solve problems and what happens is you get solutions that are applied in a cursory way to provide the appearance of dealing with problems that are really very complex and very deep. You may be able to see that with our entire TSA apparatus, our airline security apparatus, which is sort of the result of that kind of thinking. And I think it happens in these situations as well. It's hard to sustain an intelligent discussion for a long time. People's attention tends to fade. And if the government wants to be seen to have addressed a problem, often it will be the, the result of that is putting in place something that's highly visible, even if it always it doesn't always get to the root of, of whatever the situation is. And, and the question I have about the situation here now is whether that's going to happen here. We are seeing the security guards at schools, at least here in Beijing, and we're seeing some of the fundamental steps to try to protect children. What you were talking about a few minutes ago, Lee, when this deeper debate about mental health and the root problems, how much attention will go to these much more complex aspects of the problem, that remains to be seen. Will makes a very good point there. I think uh, there's earne there is earnest discussion after these incidents in the United States and maybe less good follow-through, um, certainly in-depth follow-through. But you do see, like I think, institutional responses that last, despite the fact that the institution may forget why they have the measures that they they implemented, you know, and I think you see counseling uh, at schools. I think I'm sure is pretty much omnipresent in U.S. schools. And and you do um, see vigorous debates about things like gun policy, and, and which unfortunately is necessary at our schools in the U.S. Uh, but you do, I think you do see both uh, institutional responses, and then you see a, a little bit of a lack of um, institutional memory, and then of course you see that all of those measures are overwhelmed by the you know, the hard facts of, of life um, and of societal problems. Is this really a new thing in China? I mean, Li Wen, can you remember uh, a similar space of, of crimes, that uh, sociopathic crimes? Um, Attacking children, no. But would they have been covered uh, in a public way in an earlier pre-internet, pre-text messaging era? Yeah, that's, a good, that's a good question. That's a very good question. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know before the internet time. I think you know, now you have an obvious case yeah. of you can't cover up this news uh, completely. That's why it's out at all, I think. Uh, you have, if you tried to cover it up and then it got out by text messaging or blogs or you know, whatever other method, there would be an outcry uh, that had been covered up. And um, people would blame the center. 
uh, and now so now you have, you don't have that option. And I wonder, you know, if there have been previous um, problems with violence or serial killers. I mean, I, I think it's uh, it's it's pretty much established that there have been times where serial killer cases were yeah, were not killers, covered yes. uh, a lot. Uh, in the 80s often and 90s. They are, often they are reported after they, the killer right, was after they've been arrested. Yeah, but of course they're not all caught. Yeah. And uh, then the cases of, of serial murders then go uh, unreported, and we have no idea. So then, is this possibly a case of it's not something new? Our our reasoning about the Gini coefficient, the stresses on society, maybe that's flawed. Maybe this has been going on, you know, for years in China. It's just that we know about it now. Is that likely? That's likely, but to my knowledge, I didn't. I never heard of any. So I mean, even even if someone who like to discover the historical facts from the internet about the past, I, I it, haven't heard of any. It would be very interesting to know this thing we were talking about earlier, the fact that different societies have different pathologies. It would be interesting to know if this is a long-standing social pathology or something that really has emerged now. I, I talked briefly before about uh, ethnic malaise and, and running amok, you know, this idea that when the stress finally becomes too much in the village, you get a parang and you hack up your neighbors. And, and we have that word in English, in fact, yeah, from the it, Malay, Yeah, it made such, such a big impression on the English that it was sucked into the English language to run amok, you know, to go crazy. Uh, and it's it's a shame that it's hard to dig into the history of this issue and, and, and find out if it's something that has been going on for a while. That would be very interesting to know, and I think it would inform the public's reaction to this as an issue. Right. We obviously don't have a full data set, and you can't in this sort of um, system. I, I would be a little surprised if you'd had a spate like this before because part of this, of course, was generated. Certainly there was a copycat element to this that would be impossible um, under a system where you don't find out about any of this. I would say so too. But um, what I'm thinking is more about the, if you look into these four cases, they, they, they killers all resemble each other. This is such a, a, a obvious fact. Mental illness, jobless, frustrated men. And you think we'll see more of this as, you know, this famous gender gap um, gets worse in the kind of generation ahead? That could be also, like when the first killer also was dumped by his girlfriend, the frustrations... Well, this has been the great kind of demographic fear um, yeah. is that this, uh, we have this gap of, I don't know, I forget the numbers, 20 million. We are resigning into doing nothing. Right. And it, clearly society needs to address yeah. this. The exactly. government and society needs to address this this issue facing it. Of but, but the worry is that they won't. And the solution will be let's visibly protect schools in a way that parents can see. So Especially they in rich cities. Especially in rich cities. You cannot protect every school in this country. There's exactly. too many. Right. But the larger issue of, you know, if you have a lot of men who are going to be behaving badly. You're going to uh, have some of course you'll have uh, What you'll have is probably the American solution of locking them all up. When speaking about gender issues, I mean, maybe it's also worth bringing up the fact that China is apparently has the highest female suicide rate in the, in the world. So it's not just the men who are unhappy. Yeah, but women tend to kill themselves, you know, rather than, kill rather other than killing others. So we are less of a threat. But yeah, that's a very serious issue, actually. I am. We, we do have some NGOs uh, helping ch uh, women from committing suicide, uh, getting out of their difficult situations, but it's far from enough. And this is another topic that actually should be brought up, like the, the, um, the NGOs in China, they are so restricted that, that basically people are stopped from 
helping themselves, right. helping the, each other. And, and in the United States, uh, that's a good point. In the United States sort of decimated its sort of government-run mental mm-hmm. health sort of system um, in the 80s uh, and uh, has been replaced to the degree that it has been replaced by a lot of kind of the equivalent of NGOs and uh, n- nonprofits, uh, volunteer clinics have done a lot to help fill the gap. And here, perhaps, it will be more difficult for for that to... Very difficult, especially, I mean, you get everything in big cities, right? like uh, these NGOs helping um, poor women. But, I mean, there are more women in need uh, in the countryside. If they want to get help, they have to come to Beijing. And culturally, is there an obstacle to developing mental health as uh, something as a as a real option. That's well, yeah. I mean, news about uh, mentally ill people killing their families or their neighbors are all over the place, and that you can see from time to time from the news. But still, there's no real reaction, a big changes in the government uh, policy to, to improve this situation. Let's finish off this podcast with a related but different subject. There's been a story going the rounds of the Internet recently that uh, the number of people infected with syphilis and babies born with syphilis in China has been uh, growing exponentially uh, over the last few years. Now, this is a very funny thing because syphilis is an easy disease to prevent and cure. What is behind this problem? About the babies, I have a good explanation. That China gave up, I think, two years ago, uh, the uh, how do obligatory premarital body check. Before then, we had that. Um, everybody had to uh, check. Their a health, health examination before health you examination. got married. Health yeah, examination, mm. yeah. But now, uh, two years ago, I think, they gave up on that. Like, it's not obligatory anymore. So, so lots of, not just syphilis, many other diseases, like not, not disease or maybe genetic problems. Come out. So our um, babies are getting less healthier nowadays compared with two years ago. Whereas before, yeah. if you had syphilis when you were married, then yeah, you it would, would be find found, out. You would be found, found out, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you'd cure it. Yeah, yeah. But then on the other hand, like why adults get syphilis? It's because the sex education is basically not there. Online pornography has taken over the role of uh, sex education of um, the government. And so. pornography generally doesn't do a very good job on telling you how to <laughs> have safe sex. Yeah. No, but it may help you figure out how to work with the animals more creatively. <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that out if you want to. And, and I know. I, 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 wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't know from experience, but that's what I hear. Well, that he told fantasy. me. Just to be clear, that was Will Moss. I, I don't think we will uh, edit that out, Mr. <laughs> William Moss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in trouble now, then. Yeah, I mean, fantasy is okay, fantasies, but you have to know that's fantasy. It's not real. Right. I mean, it's clearly a, there's clearly a huge gap in sex education. And this has been the problem with controlling the spread of HIV, I mean, which they were uh, even denying was a problem until, you know, early yeah. this decade, early in the last decade. And uh, it's, it's... So why is China so bad at, at sex education? I mean, one of my first experiences in China was when I was first here. I lived in a worker's dormitory, and I had to use the public toilet that we all used, which was one of those ones that had no... Uh, borders or dividers between the different squat toilets. Please, please give us a graphic display of this. Uh, I'm imagining uh, it already. <laughs> yeah. You'll have to imagine it. Uh, and I was amazed by how comfortable Chinese people seem to be with their own bodies 
it, it seems to me there's no reason for sex education to be taboo or difficult in this country. People are very comfortable with their, their physicality. Why is it such a problem? Pleasure is different from naked bodies. Pleasure is treated uh, as sex pleasure, treated as something always a little bit negative. That contradiction doesn't surprise me. Sex is a taboo in public discourse and education is a pretty widespread problem. And, and the issue of having effective sex education is pretty widespread. We definitely suffer from it in the U.S., although we perhaps have a, a more conservative streak when it comes to body issues than you have here. But that's always a tough one to wrestle with. And it doesn't surprise me that it's tough here. Right. And once again, non-institutional sort of forces in the United States, uh, I think were probably key in kind of advancing such education in the United States, especially with the HIV and AIDS, uh, you know, problem in the 80s and 90s. And you had, uh, you know, kind of, I think, a, a massive uh, kind of education, public education effort. And, and these things are also always difficult if they're tied up with national image issues. That was certainly a case with AIDS, not just here, but in many places. And if it's the case with a syphilis outbreak as well, then you may see some of the same problems in place. If there are worries that it's going to be an image problem for the nation or for some aspect of the government, then there's going to be problems in instituting a really effective response. You also have to consider the public health reporting and monitoring, especially in areas where there might be illegal activity like prostitution. Uh, you, you run into problems of trust issues with Prostitution is illegal in China? <laughs> right. <laughs> Technically illegal. Um, but you run into problems of trust issues with the various, um, you know, you have the health ministry, of course, I think very well-meaning in its attempts to kind of do outreach. But then you, you run up against uh, the public security ministry. You run, against, you run up against other kind of less and perhaps less enlightened or with government agencies with different interests. Uh, and you have, uh, you have as well as just and you have a the public... usual problems with enforcement that affect right. so many well-meaning programs here. But you have a lot of people who aren't going to maybe necessarily the first thing they're not going to turn they're not going to necessarily turn to um, an institution uh, for help or a test or the urge the constant urge of the government to go back to the um, omnipresent omnicapable time in the revolutionary times, this urge is actually very dangerous when it comes to the topic that we are talking about, that they intervene into your sex life. And because of that, they just, you know, think of, come up with one idea, okay, sex is shameful, and then, okay, nobody could, can talk about it on the media or whatever. And then nobody can deal a condom so to the prostitutes because they are illegal and blah, blah, blah. So all these kind of, this urge to control an uh, individual's life, I think, is, is in the way. It's a big opt obstacle. But this is interesting, and it goes back to the issue of the mental health problems and the school stabbings as well. You can take an interventionist approach to dealing with these kind of problems, or you can take a reactive approach where you allow people to come to you for help. Will a reactive approach work? Will it work in this society? Will the kind of people who are likely to go off their trees and go into a kindergarten with a knife, voluntarily seek out mental health services? Or do you have to intervene? And for a sexually transmitted disease in this culture, will people voluntarily seek out help? Or do you have to intervene, even if it's in a way as delicate as requiring health checkups before marriage? 
That was the wrong restriction to lift. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they could have lifted the restrictions, say, on the media. Instead, oh. <laughs> or how about that rule that makes me have to go in and register every time I come back into the country? That would be a good one. We'll do a whole podcast on that would one, we? Will, for that you. Would be good. Yeah. Ask me about the trip I took to the Haitu's Hall with my father recently. <laughs> on that note, before we get anyone arrested at the Seneca studio. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Most likely me. <laughs> thank you very much, Will. That's thank Will Moss. Anyone. That's Will Moss. Arrest him first. Uh, thank you, Chin Li Wen. And Gadi, uh, as always, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.